so if you want to turn to uh, Second Peter, I uh, encourage you to do so, and that be Second Peter uh, chapter one, uh, verse about verse sixteen. Actually, we're going to look at a bunch of the verses, but uh, verse sixteen will be a good place to start. This morning, as you can see behind me, uh, we are going to be looking at uh, one of those um, subjects that I've called, There is a Difference. I started this a long time ago and intersperse uh, dealing with other religions and cults uh, with the rest of the sermons. And today um, I'm doing that uh, with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We normally call them the Mormons. Uh, Latter-day Saints is a preferred thing they like. Uh, But uh, nonetheless, we're going to look at how their doctrine, how their teaching compares with the Word of God. I don't have a, an exact schedule I was going to do this, but a couple of Sunday nights, uh, Dave Lamb uh, asked a question on a Sunday night. By the way, if you ever come on Sunday, don't come on Sunday nights, uh, one of the things we do on Sunday nights is we just like, hey, anybody have a question? And we deal with that. And we had three questions, so we never got to Dave's question. But his question was... Um, as uh, a couple of weeks ago, he was helping his sister in Virginia, Virginia, right? And uh, they have a, a number of young uh, people from the Mormon college that are their employees. And Dave was uh, doing his normal thing, handing out billion-dollar bills and witnessing to them. And one of them said that uh, to Dave something along this line. Well, we're, we're really pretty much the same, except we have a linen profit. And Dave comes to me and says, what is a linen profit? So I spent literally an hour and a half or two hours trying to just research what a linen profit is. Finally, I got so frustrated, I couldn't find anything. So I literally looked up on the Mormon website. I looked up their toll-free number, called them. Some very polite young lady answered. And I said, I have a question. Somebody from, I'm a pastor. Somebody from my church asked me, a question about the Mormons, uh, what is a linen prophet? She goes, I have no idea. I've never heard that before. I said, I didn't either. So we talked for a little bit, and she was very pleasant. We talked for a little bit more, and then she said, you know what? I think we have a communication problem. She says, is it possible that they said a living prophet? And I said, bingo, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And uh, that is what it is. Because, literally, they believe that they have ongoing revelation. I do not believe that. I do not teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that. But that is what they teach. Almost all cults have additional revelation that they add to the Word of God. Some of them have a book or some kind of writing that they've added. And others have that plus they have a person that's identified as someone who speaks for God on God for God on God's behalf to their group the mormons fit both of those and this morning we are going to look at that if you have ever talked to a mormon uh, you can pick them out walking down the street i have a slide here in a little while i say i can pick them out a, a mile away because Their white shirts always shine. They always have a tie. They have their backpack on. You know, they might be riding a bicycle. But you can pick them out walking down the street way ahead. The point is, uh, they are known by all of us. And all of us know at least one or two Mormons by name. You go, I don't think you're right. Well, you wait, hang on, and you'll find out that that is true. 
But I have, and I'm not suggesting you do this or not do this. After today, I'm hoping that you might be willing to do something like this. But in the past, I have invited Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons in, and I've talked to them. And I can honestly tell you that uh, I, I believe my wife, or, uh, my wife and I are on the do not visit list for both of those groups now. Uh, they don't come back to our house anymore. But uh, I've sat there for a half an hour, listened to the Mormon missionaries, and I can honestly tell you I could have stood up here and to a word preached everything they said for the first half hour. They'd stop every few minutes and say, do you have any questions? I said, I might have some questions when you're done with your presentation. But I want to hear what you have to say. After a half an hour, they'd pretty much given me their presentation. And I said, I just have one question. You keep mentioning about this person, and I, they didn't know I was a pastor. I was kind of acting stupid. I just said, you keep talking about this person, Jesus Christ. Who is he? And they said, well, he's the son of God. And I said, well, you know, what does that mean? I mean, I have sons and daughters. And they said, yeah, you know, like that. And I said, okay. And I already knew what I knew the answer to it. I'm like a lawyer. I already knew the answer to it. But uh, we went on for the next half hour and agreed. I mean, I disagreed on everything. You see, most cults, Mormons included, use a language that sounds like the one you might hear me or Craig Etter or anybody that's a teacher from Garden Chapel speaking. Except they attach a different concept, a different meaning to those theological terms, including terms like God, authority or Bible, word of God, terms like Jesus or Jesus Christ, salvation. They use all of those terms, and in fact is, if you look up their website and you look at what it says, you go, wow, this looks a lot like Christianity. The point is, it's not even close, and it is not close. This morning, I am going to do a quick overview, and I mean quick, because uh, I have enough stuff on my notes here today to do a whole Sunday school quarter, and I have exactly 27 minutes. So let's look at them. So put on your seatbelts, and we'll get to go. First of all, let's look at a little bit of history. Mormonism, the Latter-day Saints, did not exist until 1830. But before that, a young man at 14 years old named Joseph Smith uh, had a vision. His first vision was in 1820. And in that vision, uh, there were two personages who said, uh, one said of the other one, this is um, my beloved son, hear him. And Joseph asked, which church should I join? And they said, don't join any churches. Three years later, Joseph had a second vision. This time, the messenger from God named Moroni came and said that in the hills of New York were buried golden plates that had an updated revision, a renewed gospel of Jesus Christ. Approximately four years later, Joseph Smith, at 21 years old, went forth and supposedly dug up these golden plates that were printed in Egyptian hieroglyphics. Actually, the, the real concept is reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics. I don't even know if there is such a thing. But uh, anyway, supposedly he dug them up and uh, he began translating them by 
1830, he supposedly had translated them and gave the golden plates back to Moroni, uh, who took them back to God or wherever he got them. And at that point, Joseph Smith then uh, published the Book of Mormon, that's B-O-M, and started the Mormon church. Now, what you need to know, and I'll, I'll get back to this a little bit later on, is that someone had taken the golden plates and, uh, because they had a vested interest, took, taken them to an authority on Egyptian things and came back and said, this is genuine stuff. When the professor found out that he was being quoted as this is genuine Egyptian hieroglyphics and all that, he wrote a letter and said, absolutely did not agree with this. In fact, is a quote from his him is, it, it was, the plates have been shown to be anything but Egyptian hieroglyphics. Later on, Joseph Smith will have been purported and did write down, it's in some of their other literature, that he wrote down the book of Abraham, which also was supposed to be in hieroglyphics. Supposedly, the... Um, the proprietor that it was on were lost, and then they were rediscovered. And so when they were rediscovered, they took what Joseph Smith wrote down and compared it with somebody that knew hieroglyphics, compared it to what Joseph Smith wrote down. Wasn't even close. It was part of the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and he had all kinds of religious stuff out of it. The truth of the matter is, Joseph Smith was a fraud from the beginning, still is a fraud, he is a false prophet, and he misrepresented himself and the things that happened to him. Uh, whether there were ever golden plates or not, I have no clue. Nobody does because they're not available for uh, uh, judgment. Uh, but he did go on to have some people who joined him, joined, uh, joined the Mormon church. In the process, he believed that he, by John the Baptist, he was given priesthood authority and that he, at that point, had the keys, the rights, and the authority to lead this renewed church, church of the Latter-day Saints, a new, the revived and renewed gospel. And so he believed that. Uh, he went on to live a few more years. He was killed, according to them. He was a martyr for his faith. Reality and history says they were in a fight. He got shot, and that's he was in jail at the time. And uh, there was all kinds of uh, ruckus because of what the Mormons were doing, and uh, what the government was doing. They were all they were all it was all a mess. But anyway, he had passed on that authority to those next to him. The next name after Joseph Smith is Brigham Young. He was the second prophet apostle and a spokesman, president for the Mormons. Uh, most people know him by the college named after him and other assorted things. Uh, Joseph Smith uh, did die in 1844, and by 1847 they had been driven out of, mostly driven out of Missouri, and they arrived in Utah where their headquarters is to this day in Salt Lake City. Most of you know some of that history, but that's a background. That's what we normally think of a Mormons because we see them on the street. I have to tell you, and I'll be right up front, some of the cults make us look bad. Not because they have right doctrine, but because of their zeal. But theirs is a zeal without knowledge. See, we should be zealous for the things of God, the things of the Word of God, for the gospel. We should be zealous. 
and we could learn from them. Now, they do it because they're working their way to heaven or working to stay saved or whatever they come up with in their own imaginations. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes in their life, in their morals, in their character, and in their zeal for ministry, they make us look bad. And we ought to take note of that. I'm not saying we should act like Mormons. Absolutely not. But we should have a zeal for the things of God. And even though they have a false theology, a false God, a false salvation, and a false almost everything you can think of, they still do have a zeal. And we would do well uh, to um, think about that. What are the characteristics? First of all, they are the fastest growing American cult. Uh, they have about 300,000 converts a year. They're 10 million plus worldwide. They have billions of geological, genealogical records on hand. They have those on purpose. It's not just they like history. They believe literally because Mormonism only started in 1830, and if you have relatives that were born and died before that, you can literally, by proxy, go back and go through the rites, particularly baptism, for those that have died, because if they would have had the opportunity to become Mormons, they would have, and you can go back on their behalf and get baptized for them and other things. But uh, that's why they keep the genealogical records. They have the biggest genealogical uh, archive of any group anywhere. They do believe that Jesus Christ came to America, North America. Uh, they believe the Native Americans uh, are the ten lost tribes of Israel, which is totally not true. Uh, they believe the, that Jesus came here, preached the gospel here uh, to certain groups, and that's the Book of Mormon. We'll get to that in a little bit. They are involved in all kinds of things in our society. As I mentioned earlier, you know a couple of names. If if you know a presidential candidate, you know a Mormon, because Mitt Romney is a Mormon. In fact is, if you listen to conservative talk radio, you probably know the name Glenn Beck. If you've ever seen anything from Hollywood or Las Vegas or music, you know Donnie and Marie. I mean, they're, they're around. They're, they're all over the place. There are a lot of them. And uh, they are influential. There's no doubt about that. They are involved in government and all kinds of other things. And the one thing that they are noted for, again, a trait that we would do well to pay attention to, is they are very family-oriented. For the wrong reason. For the wrong reason. But they're family-oriented, and they do have... Uh, a lot of things. They have, secret, uh, along with all the other things that about them, is they do have a lot of secret ceremonies and symbolism that is very similar and sometimes almost exactly the same as Freemasonry. In fact, there's a lot of Mormons are Freemasons because there really isn't a whole lot of difference between a lot of the things they believe and teach. And so uh, we will not, and I'm going to encourage you at the end, I want you, for our purposes, it's not, okay, I have some information so we can blast Mormons and we can talk bad about them. That's easy to do, by the way. People can talk bad about us because we got our faults. But here's the point. When you are informed about something, it should inform you so you can intelligently talk to other people about the truths of the Word of God, about the true Christ, about true God. 
That's why. It is not for ammunition. If you go out of here with that attitude, you're wrong. The fact is, I encourage you not to get involved in side issues, secret ceremonies, special underwear. By the way, they do have them. If you go to the temple and you're part of the priesthood, you have special underwear to wear. Seriously, you do. Don't get involved in it. It's not necessary. There are a whole lot of other things that we could talk about. Don't get involved in those. Stick to what's important. Who is God? Do we have a final authority? What has Christ done? How are we saved? That's what's important. The rest of these things are side issues when you've dealt with the important things. And let's face it, I'll run out of time here, so let me give you the end of the story. If a Mormon comes to your door, be nice to them. Don't just slam the door and say, I have my own religion. I don't want to talk to you. You may not want to talk to them. You may not feel comfortable doing that. But whatever you do, don't slam the door. You've just made them a martyr for something that's wrong. So don't do that. And if you are comfortable, and I hope that I'll give you some things that will help you, to challenge them, to talk to them. Ask them, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If they're honest, they can't give you a yes answer. And you may have the opportunity to present the gospel. You might even be able to give them a billion-dollar bill or a step to peace with God or something like that that may get their attention. And I'm encouraging you. It says that we are to have our speech seasoned, as it were, with salt so that we would be able to answer people in a tactful, it doesn't, I'm not quoting now, in a tactful way, that our speech would be, as it were, seasoned with salt. That is what our final end should be. We want to give out truth. We're not trying to win an argument. We're not trying to say we know more than you do. That's not it at all. Just giving out truth. But the characteristics are is they do present themselves very well, and their character, uh, on, at least on the outside, is absolutely uh, of highest quality. They also have other things. Uh, for example, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Every Christmas time, Mormon Tabernacle Choir is all over the place. Their temples are impressive, without a doubt, those that have seen them. I've never personally seen them, but they say they're impressive. But let's get to the bottom line. And this is the one where it comes down to. Do they have a final authority that is in line with the scriptures? The answer is no, they do not. What they will tell you, and their website says this today. It said it yesterday, I should say. I'm sure it says it today also. They have four books that they consider scripture. They are given by God, inspired by God. King James Version Bible, King James Version, the Book of Mormon, Pearl, Pearl of Great Price, and Doctrines and Covenants. They believe those four books are equal in that they are God's final authority. Here's the problem with almost every cult. They claim the Bible, except this is what they do, and you'll see me do this many times. And uh, I'll do the illustration here. They do it this way. We believe the Bible, and by the way, their quote from them is, we believe the Bible as if it's properly translated. And then they go on to say, we believe every verse of the Bible has been corrupted. 
Here's how they look at it. They take their other books and they look at the Bible through the lens of their other authorities. I don't care what you read. I've read lots of books by cults, but you read them this way. You read it through the lens of the final authority that God has given. Oh, they say a lot of good things. You know, a lot of the cults say a lot of good things in some of their, their literature. The only thing is, it's not a final truth. It's not the whole truth, and it's mixed up and messed up, and uh, the Mormons are no different than that. But we need to make sure that we see everything through the lens of the Word of God. What the cults do is they say, yeah, we believe the Bible, but we had to add something to it. In the case of the Mormons, they add those four books, and many the Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price are many times just put in one book um, altogether. And you may have seen their advertisements years ago, the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly how they present it. It's right on the cover. They believe that it is the same, same Jesus as in the Bible. The problem is it's not even close. One of the things that they do, especially with the Book of Mormon, uh, is they say, go to Ezekiel chapter 37 and you will see that God gave Ezekiel two sticks. And I'm going to make a real short version of this. God gave Ezekiel two sticks and, they and then he told them to put the two sticks together and make one. And they say, see, that's the Bible and that's the Book of Mormon and God gave both of them. I challenge you, write it down in your notes, go back to Ezekiel chapter 37, start at verse 15 and go to the end and you will find out that God makes it clear exactly what the sticks are and they have nothing to do with books, they have nothing to do with the Book of Mormon, they don't have even to do with the Bible. The two sticks represent Judah and Israel and they represent that eventually Judah and Israel will be brought back in one nation so Israel will be, re be reunited and they will be back in the land that God gave to them. Has absolutely nothing to do with the Mormon doctrine that Jesus is going to set up the New Jerusalem in North America. It's just totally different than that. When you read the context, you know that they have just ripped it out of context. Again, they are false prophets because they make it very clear, this is what we believe. And then they have the living prophet. This man, according to their... Uh, own statements is one who reveals new and forgotten truths to the church. The truth of the matter is, uh, if you think uh, along the lines of almost like the Pope who has authority to speak on God's behalf and can make declarations independent of everyone else, the prophets of uh, Mormonism do exactly that. Joseph Smith was the first one, Brigham Young the second, and the current one is Thomas Monson. He is the 16th one of them. And they believe that they have an ongoing, continuing revelation. God made it clear from Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, and many other places, he gave us everything he's going to give us. In fact, is the very last book of the Bible, and at the very end, it simply says this in Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of this, pro the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Now, that's not a final, uh, and the only thing the Bible talks about. But here's the point. God said, I have given you everything you need. This is the final authority for faith and life. We don't need it updated.
Mormonism says we've updated. In fact, as we continue to update it, because we have a living prophet who will make sure that we keep it updated. So if we forgot something, he'll remind us. If there's something new God wants to happen, he will bring it through that prophet. It says also in the word of God that the Bible is the word of truth. God claims for one book and one scripture only that it is the word of truth, that it's profitable for teaching. And that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and chapter 3. God makes it clear. He has spoken. And what he has spoken is clear. The passage I ask you to turn to is the one I'd like you to look at now, if you would, please. And I'm in first, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. This is the Apostle Peter, and he is talking about how Scripture came to be. This, is not a, they can, this cannot be repeated. Listen to what Peter says. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And then he goes on, Peter goes on to say, remember, he is writing in biblical times, we have the prophetic word made more sure. And no prophecy of scripture was ever of anyone's own private interpretation, which simply means private production. Nobody ever unloosed it or released it from themselves. And he goes on, and I know that to be true, because verse 21 says this, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Peter made it clear. God had spoken, and those that were writing were those that were eyewitnesses of what Jesus Christ had done. Everything that's added to it, and all cults do this, many churches do this also, they add to the scriptures, they are absolutely wrong. In fact is, anything that would be written that would contradict what God already wrote would make that person a false prophet. Joseph Smith is a false prophet in every possible way you can think of, uh, by his writings, by the things he decreed. And even in the New Testament times, it said that if someone had a gift of prophecy and they stood up, he, they made it very clear that the, when the prophets speak, the other prophets are to pass judgment because the prophets are subject to the prophets. So any new revelation, if it deviates in any way, shape, or form from the truths of the word of God, the final authority, they are false prophecies, and they have to be rejected. The Old Testament is very clear that if someone says that uh, they're to go and serve other gods, that God didn't say they were serving, he said, you only serve one God, that's what he told them. He said, don't be afraid of that prophet. This is Deuteronomy chapter 13 and 18. I'm going to let you look them up, just write them down, Deuteronomy 13 and 18. He says, that prophet should be put to death. You don't need to fear that prophet because he obviously isn't from God. The truth of the matter is, and I'm way ahead of myself, but the Mormon God is not God singular. They believe in the plurality of gods, 
And uh, as such, they have violated everything from the Old Testament and the New Testament that we know about God. And they believe, and I'm going to skip to that, is they have a... That's the two guys. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Um, they believe in polytheism. The, the quotes from them uh, are simply this. First of all, in the Book of Mormon, it says God's, capital G, with an S on the end, over and over and over again. They believe in multiple gods. Now, how in the world can that be? If you look at their website, they say, we believe. We believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ the Son of God, and they believe in the Holy Spirit, and they put Holy Spirit in capitals, most cults don't. But when you find out what they believe, they believe the Holy Spirit is just the influence of God. They believe Jesus Christ was a spirit baby, a spirit child, before he took on a body, just like you did, just like Satan did. They believe we're all sons of God. In fact, is they teach that we are all we all have a divine nature. The Bible says we're all sinners and separated from God. It's a little bit like Eastern thought, where you have that spark of divinity in you. Truth is, that's not biblical at all. In fact, this is probably the, the, the three quotes, and I'm just going to put them together, is God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man. They believe that God had a mother and father who had a mother and father who had a mother and father who had a mother and father. There is no eternal God. In fact, is what they do believe is eternal matter. It's unscientific. It's unbiblical. God, the Bible says, God is eternal. He is the eternal first cause of everything else. Mormonism teaches a totally different God. In fact, is they teach that the Father, God the Father, has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. They believe God started out as a man and then eventually was exalted into God. Here's what they say next. As man is, God once was. As God is, man may be. Here's what it comes down to. The possibility of every good Mormon becoming a God is taught. So it is absolutely polytheism. All Mormons can eventually be God. That's what they teach. You can go look it up. That's where it is. And simply this. God says in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, God is not man. He is God. He is the creator. We're part of the creation. They've got it all mixed together. And so their God is not a God who's eternal spirit, eternal self-existing. In John chapter 4, Verse 24, it says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And indeed, as I already mentioned, they, they teach that there are multiple gods. The word of God teaches there is one God and only one God. And that teaches that in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and many other places. And in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2 verse 5, it says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What do they teach about Jesus Christ? They teach he's just our elder brother, and they teach that he's just like you are. See, you were, and, and there's a whole lot, and there's way too much to do, and that's why we'll talk about this tonight some more. But he was the firstborn spirit child. So he was the spirit child with preeminence. All the rest of you, 
and everybody else in the world at one time in eternity past, whatever that is for them, they were spirit children floating around with no bodies. A polygamy, polygamy which they outlawed in 1890 uh, as a practice, but never took it off the books. So it's still on the books, and the splinter groups that still practice it say, we're the real thing. The other guys, you know, capitulated to the government. But nonetheless, polygamy adds this, is the more, the more children you have, the more you, good you're doing for God because you're giving bodies for spirit children. Jesus Christ is just the preeminent spirit child. He is not God who came down and took on flesh and a, a human nature. He is just like you. Exalted, though. First, priority. So Jesus Christ is just like you. He is not the Savior world. He is not God in the flesh who died. And uh, so all of us, and they make it very clear, uh, that all of us were spirit children. And by the way, that's where, if you hear the weird doctrine from Mormons that Jesus and, and uh, Lucifer were brother, brothers, that's where it comes from because they were both spirit children. Just Jesus got the good job, Satan got the bad job. I'm exaggerating that, but that's how it goes. If you read, you'll find out what, what that all means. The Word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, If anyone comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, notice, it is possible for someone to preach a different Jesus. The Apostle Paul said that way back. He says, or you receive a different spirit. So it's possible that there are other spirits other than the Holy Spirit. Or you receive a different gospel, and we'll end with that one, because the gospel is that a different good news. He says, which you, have not, um, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. He's saying, you know what? Even in Paul's time, there were people teaching a different gospel. They were uh, presenting a different Jesus. They were presenting a lot of different things. That has not come to an end. If you follow that chapter on, when you get down to verse 13, it says this, of those that were teaching those other doctrines. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants, that is Satan's servants, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. You know what? You want to get something across? Live a really good life. Have high morals. Talk about family. Be zealous for what you believe. Looks good, and it does. The only problem is it's a cover for what Satan is doing. I hate to say I'm not telling you you're Satanists. I'm just telling you they've been deceived. They have another Jesus, another gospel. By the way, what is their gospel? And I'll end with that. How to get saved. We know, according to the word of God, that it's, Faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. By grace, through faith. That's what the Word of God teaches, and I'll quote that in a moment. But they believe you have to have faith in Jesus Christ, you have to rep have repentance, you have to have baptism for the remission of sins, and if you don't, it says you'll be damned. It also goes on to say, and uh, this comes from the Book of Mormon, it says, and he commandeth, all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name or they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. In other words, baptism is a requirement for salvation. They do go on and make it very clear 
that if you are not willing to be under the testimony, the words of their prophets, and very specifically, Joseph Smith. So, if you say, well, maybe, maybe Mormonism isn't so bad, I'll just be a Mormon and only believe the Bible, I'll just reject the other books. You can't be a Mormon and you can't go to heaven. You cannot reject their other three authorities. And you cannot reject that there's a living prophet who can tell you new things. Or you can't be saved. In other words, it is a gospel that is not only uh, talking about Christ, but it's faith plus something else. Almost every cult does exactly the same thing. They have a different set of stipulations. Usually includes baptism. Usually includes trusting something or someone else. But here's what the Bible says, and I'll close with this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, and if you haven't memorized any scripture lately, I'd encourage you to memorize those three verses. My wife's favorite verses, it's because of them that she came to know Christ. But it says, for by grace, that's for by as a gift, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Salvation is not of yourselves. It is a gift that's appropriated to our lives by faith. That's trusting, believing in what Jesus Christ has done. So it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, they don't just go and give the gospel and do good things as Mormons because they think it's really good and they're zealous. They do it because they're required to work. It goes on to say, and it comes right off their website, it takes work, but the work we do doesn't only prepare us for heaven, it blesses us in this life also. And I just read one sentence because I'm running out of time. But it simply says, if you're going to be saved, you've got to keep increasing in faith and you've got to work hard. That's what they teach. That is absolutely another gospel. It is not the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and the word of God. It's a new gospel, a different gospel. It's wrong. But that passage ends in verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Are we supposed to do good things? Are we supposed to evangelize? Are we supposed to help our neighbor? The answer is yes, 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 and yes. But not to get saved or to stay saved or to earn merit or favor with God, do some kind of good work so you can get saved. That's a gift. You can't add to a gift. That's an insult. See, if you try to add to the gift of God, which is eternal life, that's an insult to God. But we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. When we have trusted Jesus Christ by faith, he changes us. From the inside out, we are born again. We have a new nature. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside us. God begins to change and work and mold and shape our lives in the image of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, our zeal is because God is working in us, we simply want to reach out to others. Doesn't make you saved, doesn't keep you saved, doesn't do any of those things. It's simply living out what's already true in your life. That's what God wants. There's a whole lot more. But the truth is, I'm encouraging you to memorize that passage because I don't care who you're talking to. That passage fits. It's faith in Jesus Christ plus absolutely nothing. And when you have placed your faith in Christ, he takes up residence in you. 
and begins to change you from the inside out. You can never pay God back for his salvation. It's a, the, it, the price has already been paid. And you couldn't pay it if you even tried because it required perfect payment. And guess what? I don't make it. And guess what? Neither do you. But every cult and many churches teach a similar, uh, a, some version of this. It's just simply not true. So again, if you stick to the basics, do you know you're saved? They cannot honestly tell you they know they're saved. Well, Jehovah's Witness can't do, witnesses can't do that. None of them can because they're still working to stay saved or to gain their salvation. We have the truth. Please, folks, let's be zealous for the truth. Let's speak up. Let's take a stand for Christ because the world needs to know. Not only Mormons, the whole world needs to know that Jesus Christ died for them and a gift is being offered. Forgiveness of sins, new life, a life worth living. And a home in heaven, by the way, with God for all eternity. Let's all stand together as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we've covered a lot of territory and, and cut a lot of uh, had a lot of shortcuts. But Father, we need to know that you have spoken once for all time. Nothing can be added to your word nor to your salvation. And there's only one Savior who is God, who came in the flesh, who died on the cross in our place to totally pay the price of our sin. Nothing can ever take away from what he has done. Any Christ that's inferior to that is not the Christ of the Bible. Lord, I pray that we would be bold, that we would be zealous, that we would reach out with the truth to those that need to hear. Lord, help us to be those who are a light in the darkness instead of simply cursing the darkness. Lord, I pray that you'd use us mightily for your glory and honor. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.